Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I have got an outstanding guest for you today. Of course, I do. All my guests are outstanding. Dr. Kimberly Jansen. Kimberly, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I think we caught the uh, caught, caught the bell there at the end. I'm so frustrated for you about this. I apologize. Let no, me, that is. Let me repeat. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to have this. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. I've, I've looked into your background and looked at a lot of the stuff that you've done. I do my due diligence and, and listeners, you are in for a treat. And here's what I want you to know about uh, Dr. Jansen here. Uh, Kim is CEO of Jansen Associates, a talent and organizational development company, and was named a top 10 thought leader top 10 executive coach in 2021, and a top 10 inspirational leader in 2022. Dr. Jansen is also the author of Demystifying Talent Management, the winner of the Axiom Book Award. Her co-author in the book that we're going to be talking about today, Dr. Melody Rawlings, uh, is a business professor, doctoral chair, and director of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations at North Central University. The book we're going to be talking about is kind of a backdrop for our conversation is determining leadership is determining leadership potential, powerful insights to winning at the talent game. Kim, with all of that and with with your pedigree and, and knowledge and experience, I am super excited to hear how you answer the question where I start off all of my guests on this show. When you hear the phrase responsible leadership. What does that mean to you? <laughs> There's not a phrase that could probably light me up faster. So responsible leadership to me is recognizing the mantle you accept when you say, I want to be a leader, I will be a leader, and having that manifest in what you say and how you show up in your behavior. There's a high level of integrity that's needed in leaders. You know, we need to, as leaders, be making the decisions that are needed for the collective. So that's an, uh, a big piece of defining it. It is holding yourself very accountable for results for yourself, but collectively for folks. It's doing good work to create followership because by definition, leaders need followers but we can do a lot of things that are quite polarizing that push people away. So it's doing the right uh, behaviors. It's making good decisions that bring people towards us and allow us to move forward. 
It's taking risk because we should be creating change and advancing things as leaders. And part of that is good risk taking. And it's holding yourself accountable to a high level of humility coupled with learning agility so that we continue to reinvent ourselves to be better for the people we're leading, for our communities, et cetera. So that's such an important question. And I am really challenged when I come across leaders who are not doing the right thing, are not demonstrating courage. Leaders need to lead. And that's that's how I would wrap it up. Yeah, no, no, I love that answer. That was a very in-depth look. And, and I agree with everything that you said. Uh, you know, my background uh, being the Marine Corps and, and uh, that leadership development environment, um, you know, uh, it's got its shortcomings. I mean, we, we, we're not 100 percent effective, uh, but, you know, we, we have a lot of great leaders that come out because we put leadership development and, and the things that you just mentioned uh, kind of at the forefront. Um, but I, I'm really curious because I, I, I kind of like to hear origin stories, especially when I hear uh, somebody who is is as enthralled with leadership and leadership development and identifying future leaders as you are. What got you on this path? What got you so enamored with leadership potential and helping uh, helping identify leaders for the future? Yeah, there was several factors, but let me just pause and say thank you for your service. I Hi. am indebted tremendously, and with it being the Marine's birthday, um, you know, it's a real celebration for an incredible institution, to your point, that produces amazing leaders. So let me just pause with that. There's a number of drivers that put me where I am. One is I'm the youngest of 10 children. And they had nine kids in 10 years, and then six years later had me. So I often say I had 11 parents but raised myself. <laughs> I, <laughs> I grew up in a community where people were very successful, very smart, very driven, and a strong message of you were extremely blessed, so what are you going to do about it? And a message of if you can, you should. Meaning, if you have an opportunity to positively impact people's lives or take responsibility or et cetera, then you should. So the first is the upbringing. The second is I'm a horsewoman. <laughs> and I look at things through the lens of helping really big horses jump really big jumps. And there's a lot of intuition and relationship management that is required in convincing these very powerful entities to do amazing things. And so that was a huge factor in me understanding what leadership means because it's not about force, right? Like you can right. force somebody for a hot second, just like you can a horse, but God bless you in the long run. So that was a big distinguishing factor. And then the third factor is I've had the pleasure of working with folks who have just done amazing things. I, I've led a blessed life in the folks I've been surrounded from a work, work uh, life perspective. I had a lot of great role models and they helped create the room for me to figure out how to stretch my wings in those things, to take risk, et cetera. So 
those three things come together to be big drivers in my uh, clear point of view about the power of good leadership. Mm. No, I love that. All aspects of that. That was a, a great story. And, uh, you know, it is, it's, it's amazing. And I, I really love the, the horse piece because, you know, um, actually let me, let me pause myself for, for a second and say on the service piece, it was my pleasure. Um, but you know, as, as the horse piece kind of ties in, you know, that's the one thing where I, uh, would see a lot of military leaders, the ones that would fail. And then now that I come uh, in the civilian sector, I see a lot of civilian leaders fail is, uh, what you're talking about, you know, trying to use force, the, the, the command and control type of leadership that is kind of, uh, when I talk about military leadership, it's kind of the Hollywood version, you know, it's, it's glamorous to see the person yelling, spitting, screaming, and people just doing whatever, but that's not how it works. You have to be able to, uh, to build a relationship, to build the bond, to figure out how to motivate people, much like getting a horse to do what you want it to do. Uh, so I really love that iconography. It kind of uh, sticks out uh, in my mind uh, a lot. Um, and, and I'm always, and, and I'm sure you probably share my frustration with this, because you've probably heard this statistic. I, I think it was uh, Zenger uh, who did it. Uh, I've misattributed that to, to Pew, I think, a couple times on this show, and I apologize for that. Uh, but it was back in 2012. It was talking about a, a global study that was done where, and I'll get to the, the kind of fine point on the pencil here, where there was this gap from, of about 10 years from when people were put in uh, leadership roles to when they received leadership training and development. And when I was reading the book and, and talking about identifying potential and then thinking about my experiences, why do you feel that people like organizations kind of wait so long before they really start identifying and investing in their future leaders? I think there's a number of driving factors. One is I don't think they know what they're doing. I mean, that's a harsh <laughs> statement, but typically they are really good marketers or deal people or accountants. We spend so much time becoming functionally excellent and like a doctor, right? right? And very little time understanding the science of people and leadership. And so we have someone who's very successful, successful in their craft. And we decide that because they spoke wonderful French on Friday, then of course they can speak Mandarin on Monday because being a good accountant as compared to being a good leader, it's that far apart. And right. so we have a true lack of knowledge in what it takes to help optimize people and meet people where they are and walk with them to create high performance, et cetera. The second is there's not a lot of incentive. So people do what they're incented to do and they're often around specific outcomes. And these outcomes can be measured but with that lack of sophistication, there's not a comfort level in that. So that's the second component. The third is everyone thinks they can do it. <laughs> so <laughs> if you think about, oh, I, I decorated my bedroom or my living room, we often have this false sense of strength that we are good at interior design. But 
when people walk into our room, sometimes they say to themselves, holy moly, like, whoa, who, who did this? It's like that with leadership. I've had a leader. I led this little thing over here. And so there's a false positive around thinking through this leadership piece. So I think all of those things culminate in a lack of respect and acknowledgement of the important components that need to come together to substantiate the uh, uh, power of good leadership. The other thing I'll just offer is we don't have a good understanding, let's start at the CEO level, of the factors that it takes to run a good organization. And the CEO should have a three-legged stool that they really cultivate. One is the strategic plan. The second is the operating plan. The third is the talent plan. So if we plant a flag three years out and say, we want to be over here, then how are we going to get there? We back into it with a year one plus two plus year three operating plan. Intuitively, it makes sense. Well, we've got to have a good handle on our leaders and our talent to be able to lay that over to see if we have the skills and capabilities to get us there. As intuitive and obvious as that sounds when I say it, that's a new idea to make sure that we're working in that very integrated way. So then to say, okay, well, let's rewind the clock and say early, who do we identify so that if we groom, we have when we get over to this place the amount of leaders or the quality of leadership we need, that's even a further idea. So uh, those are the factors that I think create that dynamic. Oh, uh, again, I, I love that as you were talking, especially there uh, in the early piece, I was reminded of a great book I read a few years back, uh, The Optimism Bias uh, by Tally Sherratt. And and they talk about that. And and the, the example they use that I think kind of fits in well with that is, you know, with, with U.S. Congress, right? Have you ever wondered why uh, Congress has, you know, six, eight, ten percent approval ratings, yet so many incumbents get reelected, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of what you're talking about there is is everybody thinks that that their person is great. They have a lot of optimism with their capabilities and, and the problem has to be somewhere else. And um and and you, you talk about incentives and it's just I agree with you a hundred percent. But I sit there and I look at, like you mentioned, doctors, right? There's all this neuroscience uh, research out there that talks about how leadership skills, empathy, being able to build a relationship with your patient can help you avoid malpractice suits. That, that should be incentive. We have all the statistics about workplaces of the disengagement epidemic and, and how much money that costs. That should be an incentive, shouldn't it? It absolutely should. But the reality of present day takes over. I'm too busy or I don't have a good manager or I'm exhausted. I can't read this book, et cetera. And oh, by the way, nobody's making me. So it's easy not to. Yeah. Uh, And again, that, that you're, you're right. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. But, you know, on the flip side, you know, if you're developing this talent, it makes your job easier in the long run. And you talk about, you know, in, in the first couple of chapters of the book, you all talk about the potential of potential and then bias in determining leadership potential. 
So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Like again, we we have these organizations, uh, you know, various levels, various sizes, but but they all, and I, I feel comfortable saying that they all have people in them with potential uh, to be developed. To, to move into to more leadership roles, to help take some of that burden off of us. So maybe we can focus a little better. Why, why, or how can we get organizations to start l- or realizing that and leveraging the talent that they have at their fingertips? Yeah. So I'll start by um, separating two concepts. The potential to develop is different than having leadership potential. Mm-hmm. And through a lot of research, so research studies of my own, meta-analyses done through others, et cetera, what I have found, and by the way, I've worked with more than 300 companies, been on the ground in more than 40 countries working with people, tens of thousands of people. And so not only does it hold true from an academic standpoint, it holds true from a, um, a practical standpoint. What holds true is there are four predictors of potential. And, and by potential, I mean people who have the elasticity for their scope, scale, and breadth to change significantly over time. And so those four components are intellect, because things only become more complex when you go up in an organization. Personality, because derailing personality traits are... Uh, real limiters and can be explosive in leaders. Learning agility, nothing stays the same. We need leaders out there that are assimilating things quickly, are uh, reinventing themselves. And then motivation. Leaders need to do big things. They have to have the energy, initiative, passion to do big things. And so the research that I've done, just one study, it showed in one company where I interviewed people at four different levels in the organization the criteria that they're using to determine leadership potential, there was 170 different criteria mm. that were identified. It's, that's insanity. How do you develop right. a pipeline if everybody's looking for something else? So how do you, how does that happen? Well, you don't have a, a clear framework. We're not talking about those things. We're relying on things that are comfortable and known to us in our preferences, which is where bias comes in. We are wired for bias. Our brains have been designed so that we don't have to re-examine every piece of information to survive. If that was the case, we would have been mowed over by the woolly mammoths from day one and not survived. And so we use that data to make assumptions to allow us to move more more efficiently through life. The challenge is if we let that be an area of unconscious incompetence where it's happening in a lot of levels. So if you and I are interviewing and I'm a Marine and you tell me you're a Marine, I'm going to listen differently in our interview. Right. Right? If you tell me, Oh my goodness, my sister is a horsewoman and she achieved these things. And I said, well, my son was there and Oh, wait a minute. They know each other. I have a bias towards that. Right. So our preferences blind us. And what we want to make sure is through this work, we are doing the right work to cough up what assumptions we're making. And we say, is this true for this person? So we could like tall people and think that tall people should do, should be in, you know, in every job. 
And then we look and we say, okay, this job actually is about, I don't know, picking up stuff from the floor. <laughs> we don't need a tall person, right? So it's a silly example, but we should look at the assumptions of where we naturally and unconsciously go and say, is that, a, is that true? Is that true for this person? Is that needed for this role? And then have the courage to push back and also have the courage to rely on those for reliable indicators of potential. Does that answer it for you? Oh yeah. No, I love it. I love the, that you got real kind of deep into uh, the kind of the neuroscience there a little bit and, and the, the human nature. And uh, you know, I had uh, Howard J. Ross on the show many, many episodes ago and folks have heard me talk about Daniel Kahneman thinking fast and slow and, and all of those things. Um, so yeah, you're, you're singing, you're, you're singing to the choir here. I, I absolutely love that. And I really hope my listeners heard what you had to say there because it is so extremely valuable, so extremely important uh, to realize how we think about uh, the people we're, we're looking at as, uh, for their potential, right? Those biases, the way that they play in. And it's important for, for people to realize that that is human nature. It's going to happen. Uh, you know, what, what, uh, Dr. Jansen is talking there, there, there's no way around it. You're going to have those biases. It's, it's raising that level of awareness and being willing to say, Hey, this is why I think differently about that person. Or this is why I discount that person and being able to adjust your, your thinking process. Does that sound kind of in track with what you think? Yeah, I think that's right on the money. A little bit of a mental map I use is something called the assumptions model. And I'm not a big model person, but I think this one resonates. If you think about a coffee filter and think about the ones that were in the older coffees, coffee machines that were paper, and you mm -hmm. put it in the coffee filter space, you put coffee in and put the water in and coffee comes out, right? Pretty straightforward. That's the data that we all get. So we, someone walks by us, that we all get the same data. But it, our, our filters are laced with different things. Because if, if I lace that filter with chocolate or raspberry, it influences the, the coffee. Well, my filters are, I've had 22 years of education. I am the youngest of 10 children. I'm married to a police officer. I have... Two children who are very successful in the horse space. I blah, 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 right? Keep, keep going. That's the chocolate or raspberry that as I walk this, watch this person go by, my data goes through those things. I have to know that my data is going through my chocolate filter. The person next to me may have a strawberry filter. And so having good strategies to look at those things introspectively helps you navigate those. And then also having good skills, conversation skills, communication skills helps you talk about those things. Because to your point, they are a reality of who we are. It's just that we've got to be better than that because the research will tell you time and time again, the better product, the better result comes from the group, the room that has the heterogeneous group versus the homogeneous group. So there's real power in the diversity of thought, harder to manage, clunkier, longer, little conflict, but 
we, because of those things, we often migrate away from it and do what's comfortable. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Uh, what's the statistic? Uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the brain processes or takes in 11 million bits of information every second, but only can, uh, can only process 50 bits. Um, that that's the disparity there that, that, uh, that Kim's talking about. Um, well, you know, we're, we're sitting here, I think it's about time to take our, our commercial break. So let's go ahead and roll into that. And then we'll come back on the other side and, uh, finish our conversation with Dr. Kimberly Jansen. All right, folks, here we are. We're back uh, with Dr. Kimberly Jansen, and we've had some great discussion so far. Uh, if you are joining us now for whatever reason, make sure you go back and listen to the conversation that we just had uh, talking about potential and, and the role that bias plays and, and uh, know that we really just scratched the surface on that because it is such a deep and complex issue uh, to, to get into, but it really wreaks havoc on your organization if you don't pay attention to it. Um, but, but Kim, you, you were kind of talking about something there before the break that I do want to build on here a little bit because you'd mentioned uh, another subject that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is, is cognitive diversity. Um, and I just, I love that, that, that diversity of thought piece. Um, and, and, and embracing that kind of at the decision-making level uh, to, to be able to change what the organization sees as their future leaders that can have a lot of value to it as well, right? Absolutely. You know, I think for me, you have to start with a core strength in that area. And what that means for me is that I need someone who has the capacity for uh, strong analytical skills, who can think creatively about things, who can think longer term about things. Because when you have those facilities, then you're able to look at a situation and turn things on its head, et cetera. And when you combine people who have those capabilities, that's where a, a power, powerful outcome uh, will come about. I had a, a potential client I was talking to last week, and she said, so for you, Intelligence is a non-starter for leadership. And I said, she was the CEO. I said, well, let's just take you. Your job's really hard, right? You are faced with market headwinds right now. You are uh, on the hook for a lot of things. You've got to think your way out of a lot of things. You need a lot of horsepower to be able to navigate things because as you went up in an organization, things only became more complex. And she says, yeah, that's true. So yes, I mean, it's not, we, we want to love everybody. We don't like to talk about intelligence, but it's, there's a minimum threshold where we do need to have folks who have these capabilities to then leverage that co cognitive diversity for great outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, again, I, <laughs> I love that. And I really, Listeners, I, I don't have folks on here in all with all size organizations, and and uh, I really want you to soak this in. Um, 
because you know it is it is extremely important what Kim's talking about here. And again, I want to encourage folks to go grab a copy of Determining Leadership Potential, Powerful Insights to Winning at the Talent Game. Because I truly believe the organizations that take this book and put it into practice are not only going to win at the talent game, but they're going to win at the business game. And, uh, you know, I kind of want to segue here a little bit because you you have, you know, a few chapters in a row here where you talk about uh, intelligence, you talk about personality, motivation, and I love the term learning agility. Um, But but all of those things, those perceptions uh, of somebody's intelligence, of somebody's personality, of somebody's motivation, of somebody's learning agility, that all kind of ties back into the bias piece that we've been talking about here. Because how we view people uh, is going to be modified, is going to modify how we perceive those traits in them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what we try to do in the book, and then also there's a website that we built to give you even more resources, and it goes by determiningleadershippotential.com. We've given you some thought joggers about how to look for those things. So, for example, Um, on how do you get a glimpse into the cognitive piece, give them a case study, ask people to think out loud with you so you can see how they actually think you, of course you can look at results, but it's more the understanding of the variables that they consider, how they turn things around the personality piece. Certainly there's a lot of great assessments out there to help you understand different personalities. The thing though, that, I want to emphasize on personality is it's more the derailing personality component. So for example, someone who is very self-focused or really negative or very blame oriented, et cetera. Think about the worst manager you've had or your friend who talks about their horrific manager. There's a pattern of behaviors that are consistent And they're typically, if they're a really horrible manager, they are typically things that are ingrained to them. And they're they're not negative just here. They're negative everywhere. Those are things that we want to sort for. And you can get that in terms of the questions you ask or their reaction to when you challenge them or how they take responsibility for things, et cetera. So I gave you two examples, uh, a few examples of two of the four, but for each of those, there are really good behavioral indicators or resources you can leverage that gives you a good glimpse into uh, how they show up on each of those four components. Yeah. And and again, I think that just highlights the importance of uh, identifying talent and having a, a development program in place. Like again, I think one of the reasons why the Marine Corps and, and the, the military in general, I think all branches do a fairly good job of this, is um, it's something we start day one, right, is, is, is we start leadership development day one. We start learning the, the 11 leadership principles and the 14 leadership traits uh, that the DOD has, has set out as kind of their foundation of leadership development. And then it's a series of, of observations, a series of tests, a series of, uh, you know, all sorts of like, how are you setting an example? How are you showing up uh, to work? How well can you perform your job? Uh, we get rated on what we call proficiency in conduct throughout our careers. And a lot of that is, is uh, bent towards identifying leadership potential for promotion. 
And, and the reason I come back to that is it's not a perfect system. There's a lot of room that can be built on it. There's bias that comes into play there. Um, you know, uh, how well does your command like you and all those sorts of things, you're going to get some bumps or negatives on your pros and cons. But the point is it's a continuous development cycle. And the reason I bring that up is kind of tying back in the research we talked about before where there's that 10 year gap. And, and I'm asking, I want to ask this as a question, even if it does sound as a statement. So I want to say that there, you have to be intentional about the, the identification and the development of your people. Otherwise that 10 year gap, you're going to get filled in with on the job training of the people who do possess the bad habits that you don't necessarily want in your organization. So it's best to just pay attention to this at the beginning and development uh, cycles right off the bat. Is, does that sound like a fair assessment, Kim? I think it's a great assessment. And I think the Marines are a great commercial for it. So when you come in, to your point, they hold everybody to a standard of self-leadership and expected behaviors. But then they observe the potential for people as it relates to galvanize and engender other people to bring them along? And can they create a combat plan, right? Do they have the problem solving, the intellectual ingenuity to think creatively about a, a warfare plan to be able to be successful? That's where they start to add in other layers, consciously or unconsciously, around things like intellectual capacity. They may find that some people are good managers where they can set good expectations. They're good about coaching and feedback, but they don't make it through those thresholds that you talked about, which is some testing, probably some um, putting them in different situations and see how they respond, et cetera. So the Marines has a mechanism through those components to get a really good look at their talent. Top talent wins the game all day long. It's the same with athletes. It, it, if you have the core components and they are nurtured and matured and built upon, and then we put people in different experiences over time so they develop good judgment, that's what ultimately ends up being a strong leader. But if you can do that early identify people who have those raw components, high intelligence, no significant personality derailers, high motivation, high learning agility, then frankly, we can teach them anything. And we can then over time season them with good experiences that then formulate judgment that 10 years later, you've got a really strong leader. Mm, I love it. I love it. Uh, I want to talk about uh, learning agility here a little bit, because I'm really glad that you you included that in the book, uh, you, you and Dr. Rawlings, um, because I think that is the one out of all of these. You know, yes, personality is always going to be their intelligence, motivation. I love those things. But I think learning agility, uh, and this is my perspective. You can tell me if I'm completely off base on this. But I think that is probably going to be one of the most valuable elements moving forward in any organization, uh, in, in any uh, sector, in any genre, whatever word you want to use, because, uh, and I've used this quote on here before, nobody still found out who actually said it, so I think I might take credit for it. Um, <laughs> but it, it says, change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. Um, 
And and I think that's it, right? And and if we're not focusing on that learning agility, we're we're just not going to be able to to keep pace as 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 much as we should. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm kind of curious your take. How important do you see learning agility moving forward? It's huge. So the intel. Let's just say stick with intelligence. It's binary. It's either going to intelligence is binary, right? You you either have that intellectual capacity that you'll be able to leverage over time or you don't. Learning agility is a choice I make. That's also the frustrating thing for folks because as a leader, if I see someone who has some of these good attributes, I'm, I want to say, oh, if they could just keep working on themselves or no, that's the proverbial horse to water, right? You cannot make a horse drink. I've had a lot of sick horses. Believe me, you cannot make a horse drink. It's the same with learning agility. The person controls it. However, I concur. It's one of the biggest differentiators of success. And I mentioned I did a number of studies. The most recent study was with more than 50 CEOs around the world. And CEOs that you know, you know, Brian from Target, the CEO of Foot Locker, uh, Alter Beauty, Standard Chartered Bank, Build-A-Bear, Panera, et cetera, really uh, iconic, so successful people, learning agility came up relentlessly every time. Because to your quote, nothing is staying the same for a nanosecond. And so we need people who have committed themselves to ongoing reinvention, but also who can assimilate things very quickly. Because if you're slow to process or you're slow to think through things and you don't work through things quickly, the train left the station. So it's the combination of that insatiable hunger with a strong skill set to process and assimilate quickly that formulate learning agility. But if you don't have it, I don't know how you're going to survive at any level of authority or leadership in organizations or in life, because this world is just exploding every single day. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean, there, there used to be a time where you could, you knew what you knew and that was what you knew, but now uh, like, like you said, like as soon as, as soon as you think you've got it figured out, not only is it is it changed, it's almost entirely new concept. Uh, I you know, when, I think ahead. that's a brilliant point. I want to go right back to it. You knew what you knew. By the way, that's how people held power. Right. That's how the wrong person stayed in the job because what was valued was that they knew things. It's hard to know things now, to your point. So it, we need to rely on different metrics. They weren't the right metrics to begin with, but they were the metrics that were used. How can you have that today? If you do, then you have people who are trying to hoard power and keep things the same way, which is, you know, a death knell anyway. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to capture on that great point that you were making, because I think that's why we have a lot of bad leaders in place now, is they do what they did. And they don't have the learning agility as one element to keep reinventing themselves. 
Yeah, no, I, and by all means, feel free to interrupt. That was a brilliant point that, that you made and, and built on there, and I, I loved it. Um, but, but it reminds me, and it's, it's a quote I talk about here a lot, and, and I'm always impressed when, when other people use it in, in different venues because it, I think it is a very powerful quote. And it's attributed to somebody who was not really known to be empathetic and, and to be an in-tune leader, and a lot of times quite the opposite. I mean, he had the nickname Old Blood and Guts. Um, but, but general Patton, uh, you know, was famously quoted as saying, don't tell people what to do, tell them what needs to be done, get out of their way and let them dazzle you with their brilliance. Um, and, and that, that moment of clarity, whatever, uh, hit him at that time, I think is something that a lot of leaders, and I agree with the point that you made, a lot of leaders don't have the ability to, let go of that level of control that it takes to empower others to use their learning agility, their their uh, intuitiveness to solve a problem differently for fear that they come up with a better solution than the quote unquote leader would have. And it makes them look bad and, and ego comes into play. And I think that's really a big driver in, in some of this that, that we've been talking about here is Sometimes people are afraid to train their replacement when in reality, that should be a goal of a leader, shouldn't it? Absolutely. You've, you've made some really powerful points in what you just mentioned. So let me pull the string on a couple of them. Yeah. 100% our job should be to uh, train our successors starting day one as we get in. But that goes back to how you define the leadership role. And people who are and apt in the way that you described a moment ago are about being in the front of the room and holding the power. And it's, it's laden with ego. There's no room for ego in leadership. And these CEOs, those powerful CEOs I mentioned, one of the biggest things they talk about is humility. These people who have achieved incredible things say humility is absolutely one of the most important for just for that reason. So as we think about pulling that together, then my job as a leader is to enable your success. That if I hire talented people and I enable them to be successful, I will be successful. You've got to have you know, a good deal of confidence, but you have to have the right playbook to help you identify the right kinds of people to then help them develop the skills and give them the rope and make mistakes, but hold them accountable, by the way, don't make the same mistake twice, to then build a cadre of leaders. Because General Patton is one soldier. He's got one set of footprints. He can't do it on his own. His power came from galvanizing thousands of sets of footprints that then march towards a shared target. But if he's then thinking he's going to make every decision for each of those soldiers, then they're sitting ducks. So I think he got it right in that regard. And when people get that joke, it's transformational for the results, how people join up with them, the success of the business, et cetera. It's, it's, um, it just catches fire. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Um, Dr. Jansen, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I, uh, 
Uh, I've been running this uh, a lot with my my guests uh, lately, and I think it just speaks to uh, the the quality of guests that the folks over at C.S. Lewis keep uh, sending my way. But I feel like we could probably talk for another three or four hours here, but uh, out of respect for your time and and our listeners, um, is there anything that that you want to leave the listeners with before we work to wrap it up here? First of all, I so appreciate you, Earl. I really um, enjoy this opportunity. As you can see, I get a little jacked up <laughs> about the topic <laughs> because it's just so important. And so I guess the wrapper I want to leave is if we want to be great at something, it takes lots of good work. And I encourage people to put the work you would in to become a brilliant tennis player or golfer. It, it takes precision and discipline, coaching, you being coached, practice, all of those things to hone a strong set of skills. And it's laden by some very strong ideologies, which is what the book is about. So I, I think that we need more people to think in terms of being a person for others. We're in a leadership crisis. I mean, just look at politics, never mind the businesses. And I suggest that we all take up the mantle and try to become, as we would tennis players, really significant leaders because our world needs it. So, and it's not apple pie. It's really good business, uh, business sense if you just want to take it on that lens. But then from an overall humanity and community standpoint, man, we need more good leaders. So that's what I would lead you with is, it, you know, hard work pays off. If you want to be great at something, we got to grind and put in the work. So I encourage you to put in the work in this space. Mm, I love it. That's a that's a great way to uh, to kind of wrap up the conversation piece there. And uh, again, it's been brilliant conversation. You shared a lot of great insights. Uh, listeners, I really want you to go uh, go pick up a copy of, of Demystifying Talent Management. It was a, a great book in its own right, but also the one we've been talking about here a lot, uh, co-written with Dr. Melody Rawlings, Determining Leadership Potential powerful insights to winning at the talent game. Uh, folks want to find out more about you, uh, what you're doing, uh, the work that Dr. Rawlings is doing. Uh, wh where are some good places for them to go check that out? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I have a business called Jansen Associates. We've been in business for 10 years and you can learn about us through jansenassociates.com. Look under the publication tab because I write for a lot of uh, periodicals and publications, Forbes, et cetera. And I try to put out there a lot to help people um, flesh their thinking in this space. Uh, much of that appears on our Instagram account, Jansen Associates, and also our LinkedIn account, Jansen Associates. And then Melody and I built a robust website to help in this particular space. And that can be found at determiningleadershippotential.com. Mm. Outstanding. And, and listeners, as always, I will have those links in the show notes so you can just click away and, and go check those out. Um, they're all great resources and you'll find a lot of valuable information there. Uh, Kim, again, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've loved every second of it. I've loved the, the insight uh, that you've shared here. I love what you've done with the book. I love the mission that you're on. Um, I mean, it is just fantastic. And you're right. The world needs uh, more leaders. They need better leaders. 
and uh, they need leaders uh, that people actively choose to follow. And I think what you're laying out here absolutely helps create that type of leader and leadership development pipeline. So I just want to say uh, thank you for the great conversation and thank you for being an outstanding guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.